Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. Before we start this week's speaking broadcast, I just want to say that we have a very exciting announcement concerning the future of our show coming up at the end of the episode. So please stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the Beacon Broadcast. I'm your host, Bobberton, and joining me, I have Sam. Hello, hey, what's up? How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) I have she. Hi. And I have Sunday. We are go for podcast. Yes, we are. And with that, let's get right into it with thoughts on the episode. Blood for the blood god, skulls (laughs) for the skull throne. Oh, dude. Wow. My beautiful. blood itch was not satisfied, though. That cliffhanger. I know. <laughs> I need more blood. Yeah, I didn't I... Want... Oh, we haven't oh, really had that many cliffhangers that I put on Ruby, so that was annoying as a, as a sudden show up. <laughs> yeah. There was definitely a no why when that episode <laughs> ended on that cliffhanger. Yeah. I think everyone was like that. Yeah. My reaction was, no, I need more blood. Give me more blood. Someone send Sam some blood. They need that. Let's beat up one million children. <laughs> Why are we beating up children? For their blood. I don't want to beat up children. Is this part of the sinister master plan? Look, Tyrion's already beaten up four. We only have 999,996 children left to beat up. Yeah, all right. We got, we got four of them out of the way. Okay, you do that. that I'm going to go difficult. for the police. I need more blood. Harsh. Harsh, you know man. Harsh there beats. There were some sick beats this episode. So, yeah. Actually, harsh beats uh, kind of summarizes this episode in general. It was just an episode of harsh beats in all of their forms. I've, harsh beatdowns. Yeah. I, I really did enjoy how we got, like, Ren has always been that kind of little background character. Like, not a background character, more of a secondary character we don't get to see too much of. So it was nice to have a bit more opening up of his character and his background. Because I've always quite liked, yeah. I've always found him quite intriguing as a character. Like, why does he hang out with Nora and put up with Nora when she's so kind of happy and chipper? I mean, something like that would drive me insane because I am that person. Yeah. So it was really nice to see them opening up Ren's character a bit more. And I hope that they keep doing that. I hope we get a little more information into the cryptic backstory. Cryptic backstory. It was, it was very cryptic. Also, I guess you could construe as who would win in a fight, <laughs> a uh, a crazy scorpion, scorpion faunus, or a crow person yeah. who's named Crow. Yes. Really on the nose what there. With a Q, <laughs> which I did not know for a while, and which I felt very stupid about when I found out. I mean. Like, 20 different people didn't realize the word marigold was spelled with an A, not an E. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. So, you know. No, it's an O. You don't know. God, you may not right. know a fantasy spelling, but at least you know how to spell a friggin' flower. That is true. I'm good at flowers. No, it, it's spelled with an O. It's G-O-L-D. Come on, guys. Get it right. <laughs> Damn, he's right. <laughs> I kind of wanted Tyrion to have more feet. Like, obviously, the whole, like, oh, he has a scorpion tail was quite a nice reveal. I kind of wanted like him to, like maybe if he had like gloves or something and he takes the gloves off and he's got like pincers. His weapons are pincers. Oh, oh shit, I missed that. They're oh, the claws. Yeah. Shit. Oh, oh shit. The claws. <laughs> Although I would have liked them to act as more pincer like objects. They also have gun barrels in them, so I think they have retractable stingers too. That's huh. pretty cool. Yeah, if you look at close-up images when, of it, there's two barrels in the leather bracer part. Because of, of course, course, it's, it's also, also a, gun. a gun. Like that's just yeah. how this works. I have that's a lot of things thing. I want to say about Tyrion, but I want to talk about that more when we get to the fight scene. So let's get to the fight scene. It was amazing, and yeah, it was I had super a 20-minute cool. dissertation about why that fight scene made perfect sense for the Ruby World. Proceed, proceed. Team Ranger is a bunch of shit-nosed kids who don't know how to fight humans. They are trained to fight monsters twice their size. Tyrion is very clearly an assassin or some sort of crazed murderer who has actively fought against large groups and humans. You can see that by the way he fights by engaging one person, kicking them out of range, and then immediately engaging the next person. 
-hmm. He knows how to fight groups. It wasn't a case of mook chivalry or one-on-one. Team Ranger is unequipped to fight groups of people like that. Yeah, at most they can fight people one-on-one. Yeah, when you've got like a group of four, like what we had back in Volume 3. Yeah, and their best one-on-one fighter kind of kicked the bucket when it comes to fighting other humans. Yeah, the two best fighters for human combat, one lost a limb and one lost her life. I would also note that um, Tyrion appears to have some method of breaking aura, which... For hunters, not a scenario they're trained for at all. I don't think it was aura break and more of he was just hitting so hard it was damaging her aura significantly. I don't know. Like, multiple times, he does the, like, red glow thing multiple times with different people. And I figured that was why he, you know, not to jump questions, but I figured that was why he was interested by Jean. I don't think he could break Jean's aura. He didn't break Ren or Nora's aura either. He d- he did a couple of times, he, he, I'm pretty he, he, he sure. He did Nora. I'm pretty sure he did Nora at one point. Yeah, like you see I the am... red flash. Yeah, yeah, we saw not... a red flash when he was going at Nora, I think. But you don't get the the shield look from anyone other than Ruby, so Red Flash could have just been... A signifier of a hit. I mean, it could yeah. have been, but the way that it's drawn, it and the way that the fighters are surprised when he hits them, yeah, really makes me think that he's got some ability to break or dodge auras, and that they're not in any way trained to deal with someone who can do that. That could be a possibility, and it's totally reasonable. I didn't really see anything that would point to that. I was just really seeing brute strength. Yeah, it was um, definitely this more guy, of a brute strength thing. This guy seems to have a huge leg up over every single one of Team Ranger. Of the children. Yeah, of the toddlers. They're still literal children who basically got thrown into a war zone. It's not like they've been training every day as they've been fighting, well, apart from Jean with his horrible thing with Kyria, but we don't talk about that. They haven't been training in new scenarios. They haven't been training in more advanced ways to fight monsters or to fight people. So suddenly they're being thrown into the situation with this extremely advanced assassin. And I'm not surprised they all got their butts kicked because they have no idea how to fight something like that. And they haven't been trained that far. And they're still kids. They're also really not used to fighting something their own size. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I guess, like I said, they're used to fighting giant monsters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, literally, physically, they're not used to having to corner an enemy that is their own size. Also, because he was move- he was so agile and jumping on shields yeah. and just jumping around. I don't think they've ever had to deal with a monster that does that kind of thing. Yeah. I was at lunch with Rio today, and we were talking about that, and how the Grim usually fight by instinct instead of strategy. Yeah, yeah. And how, again, because they don't know how to fight people, they don't know how to fight strategy. Yeah. yeah. They've never encountered an enemy that uses actual tactics before. And they've never really encountered somebody with this size and level of just brute strength, because I I, I do want to reflect on this. This particular density? Yeah. yeah. Tyrion took straight on just a, a straight block of Nora's charged hammer shot. Nora is easily the strongest member of the entire group. Mm. Charged up on enough electricity to knock her over for a little bit and she emptied pretty much everything into that one hit and he just took it with one tail and didn't even move went into the ground a little bit it was a surprise tail was one more tail than we thought he had yeah but that's how much stronger he is than yeah yeah you know that that would have leveled somebody like ren it did level and the tournament yeah it leveled team bronze yeah and they're used to people being fast ren is relatively fast uh as a fighter like he he can move around Mm -hmm. if they spar with ren at all which there is a feeling that they do actually spar when they were back at beacon yeah they're used to a fast fighter they're not used to a fast fighter that has more power than nora has ren seemed to be the only person who could even match Tyrion's speed and even ren was like shocked at how fast he was. Yeah, and he's got danger sense. Yeah, yeah. he's got spidey sense. I've watched over recently, and I was thinking about it, based, and I saw a lot of complaints in the Ruby tag about how Ruby's semblance is super speed. How can she not keep up with Tyrion? Ruby's semblance is movement speed. Not reaction, not reflexes, just running. Yeah, and it's also not super well controlled. Yeah, because, I mean, she's, she's, she's still a child. She's still learning to control that kind of power. Even beyond self-control, her semblance doesn't extend to her muscle movement. It extends to her acceleration. 
She's yeah. definitely hit a wall before, hasn't she? She passed out from carrying Penny. Yeah, there you go. She doesn't yeah. have the strength to do that sort of speed with movement. Ren yeah. is and, uh, reflexes. He's a, he's a ninja. Nora even said it. He's a ninja. R ninja is the only one who could keep up with the assassin. Yeah. And even then, Tyrion's faster, stronger, more experienced. This is a trained killer with a venomous tail. Ninja versus assassin. Who will win? Yeah, he's got a straight up extra appendage that no one else can contend with. Like, yeah. you only have four limbs and he's got five. I imagine actually so... also his tail helps him a lot with the acrobatics he was doing. Because tails always help animals with balance. And he something was doing else... some crazy acrobatics. Yeah, definitely. And something else that's probably also good to point out is that team ranger as a team all the people in it are young and then as a team like they're still getting used to working together and mm -hmm. they're still only getting used to working together fighting monsters so having to suddenly work together when they're still figuring out the team dynamics having to fight a person is kind of adding another layer of bullshit on top of everything else that's just, just gone wrong <laughs> yeah to summarize this past section Tyrion op please nerf yeah please please <laughs> nerf no don't because i want to see crow go all out oh yeah that's true and I was excited for that because Crow is a trained, experienced huntsman. He has fought and he has killed. He yeah. knows how to fight people. Yeah, he lays the smack down with Winter. He also used to be a bandit. He used to be part right. of a group of people who would just go and, you know, ruin people's lives. That's one does. Who, who seem to have a very, the strong survive ethos. So I'm sure like fist fights for status are fairly common. And I said this when we found out with that little conversation between Crow and Raven. I'm really looking forward to seeing Crow go all out, like actually all out. And I think we're going to get that next episode. And that's why I was so mad <laughs> with that cliffhanger. Yeah, that was... <laughs> because it's like... Yeah. It was a good cliffhanger, I, though. It was I a good need it. <laughs> anyway, uh... Oh, yeah, one other thing I wanted to mention, because uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. Anybody else notice the eye color change? Yeah, it was right as he was about to sting Ruby. Tyrion's eyes yeah. turned purple. Really? Guess what color it turned Tyrion purple. Huh, I did not notice that at all. That's some bullshit. Thinking back, actually, yeah, I remember that happening, yeah. Tyrion's name is a shade of purple. Right. So it makes perfect sense his eyes turn purple. And the Tyrion eye color thing lends credence to my theory, and I'm sticking with this theory until proven otherwise, that Tyrion, Hazel, and Cinder are homunculi made by Watts and Salem. Because the way he seems to be able to conceal that tail perfectly and his seemingly superhuman reflexes and stuff beyond even the scope of what we've seen in ruby they seem artificially enhanced too just seems very evil and especially with the full metal alchemist vibe we're getting this volume with everything i just sort of figured that Tyrion was very old and had also gone you know like he was old enough that his aura is strong enough that he's sort of on another level mm, yeah. of fighter i figured the same is true with hazel but I, I like the homunculi theory. I can see that. I also saw a really cool theory that he's not actually a scorpion, but he's a manticore. Oh, that'd be cool. With the tail of a scorpion, the wings of a bat, and- I can see that too, actually. Fire breath. Can Faunus have traits from mythological species? Or do manticores legit exist on Remnant? We don't know, but if he's an artificial Faunus- We haven't seen any yet. Well, we have grim dragons, but if he's a homunculus, right. Salem might have given him multiple traits to adapt to a situation. A sort of internal artificial evolution. And Crow being like, are you fucking serious right now? And then Crow grows his own wings. Mm. <laughs> that would yeah. be really cool. Dude, how sick would it be to see oh, an aerial would be battle super to cool. the death? It reminds me of Raging Raven from Metal Gear Solid yeah. 4. Okay, well then... well. Well, if next episode we're going to get Crow going all out and then this guy growing wings, then I'd say we, we I, I, I'd say that we have a pretty kick-ass episode. Angel fight. Angel fight. I'd say we have a yeah. pretty awesome episode coming. Um, I really want to see what would happen if Crow had to shapeshift in front of Ruby and Ruby's like, you turned into a bird. That's not normal. That would be pretty cool. Can we talk about this? I, yeah. I want to talk about that. We got the confirmation because, that yeah. Crow is a bird. <laughs> it's so cool. I, I, I can imagine that. I imagine that'd be her exact reaction. I want to take that a step further towards Raven. Okay. 
So you know how Ren said that not just any one Grim he took said out anyone, his, the village yeah. of Yeah. And we kn know how the Bronwyn twins are able to shapeshift in the birds. Right. Because we've seen that raven, and we've seen the crow, and we've seen raven and crow. Yeah. Right. What if Raven's tribe, that mask that she wears, is some sort of modifier that actually changes her animagus form into some sort of monstrous grim, and in that form, she leads the attacks on villages. Oh, like she can shapeshift oh. into like a Nevermore or something? Or some sort of giant monstrous hybrid right. grim. Because we're very clearly getting into grim species that are no longer based off real creatures. We are getting into abilities that are not something that any yeah. normal human would be able to do out, even outside the boundaries of Ruby. Oh, and then that could have, uh, that footprint that we saw could have been... Could have been Raven's Grim Animagus form. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's basically like a relic that taps into this shape-shifting power that seems to be generational. And why crows seem to have an abhorrence for the mask. Yeah. Maybe you, like, lose a little bit of yourself when you go into the grim form. Yeah, I was thinking about it. Like, you lose a bit of your soul and your aura and your darkness takes over. Something like that. Yeah. How does that apply to uh, Adam, then? He seems to have the same kind of mask, but we've never seen him Well, the White Fang masks are specifically designed to look like grim masks. Uh, and this was... Right, but Adam's is very different. Like, it's way more ornate. Yes, because he's higher ranking. He is a branch. Right, but, I mean, none of the people, you know, uh, in the last episode had masks. Maybe they wouldn't wear them well, yeah, in Well, yeah, they wouldn't wear them in Menagerie but, because like, they're not trying to be the intimidating, faceless force of power and terror. They're trying to present themselves as a benevolent organization that's very cult-like. But it's like every time we see Adam, yeah. like it, especially in the credits sequences for this volume, like the mask pattern is glowing. It's very sinister and it's like his signature thing. Like I think there's more to it than just he wears a scary mask. Is he wearing the mask in Blake's He's flashbacks? He's always wearing the mask. Okay. See, see, I, I thought with Adam wearing the mask and in... In the credits this season, when we see kind of um, uh, Yang looking at him, kind of terrified, I assume that that was kind of reflecting like she's having horrible nightmares about him, and he's got this glowing mask on. But and also when when right, but yeah. it also was in um, in the first volume, I think it was like the little hint in Blake's part of the credit sequence was also like Adam's mask pattern. Now I will say this: um, I do think there's something possibly more with Adam's mask and might have some abilities. I don't think it's magic in nature, and I think Raven's mask and um, the masks of the White Fang and Adam's mask are completely separate in this. Um, I don't think the White Fang, uh, except for the creepy cult leader side of it, I don't think any of them have this kind of supernatural magic that we've been seeing. Um, I think maybe the... Maybe the cult side might have a ritual. I don't think Adam Taurus, a uh, branch commander, but not quite leader, um, has any specific magic. Maybe some enhanced technology. He could be blind. And you could have like kind of a Jordy LaForge uh, thing going on with that. Yeah. That would be really yeah. interesting, actually. Well, well so, so here's, here's a question, though. So I always was sort of assuming that the Branwyn twins got their shape-shifting powers, that it was like actual magic, not semblance or aura magic, and that they'd gotten it from Ozpin or someone related to Ozpin. But if the bandit tribe that they grew up in has, you know, rituals and masks related to it, then that suggests that it's an inborn power. And that raises the question of whether or not it's related to the Faunus. Which I think, like, we've discussed before, but more specifically, like, maybe some faunus are not born with, you know, one animal trait, like a tail or whatever, but born with this shape-shifting ability. And if you go and, like, kill a large grim and you take that mask part, like, the skull part that they all seem to have, 
then that lets you shapeshift into a um, grim well, type hybrid. And here's thing. where we're getting into the fun parts of Crackpot because we're basing theories off of speculations of other theories. Um, <laughs> Yay. Where the logic really doesn't flow because if <laughs> one thing uh, gets disproven, then we lose everything in the chain. Welcome to the Crackpot where the theories are made up and none of it matters. Tinfoil hats yeah. on! Yeah. Yeah. One thing I will say. Um, it has been stated frequently that the Grim don't stick around, ever. Um, even when you kill them, they will dissolve. So yeah, uh, I don't know how I you don't would get think, the skull thing. Uh, save for some like strong magic stuff that we haven't seen, uh, we haven't really seen any like ritual style magics. Uh, we've mostly seen what I put under the uh, guise of uh, evocation style magics, where it's like fast and rapid magic that's done quickly um we haven't seen any kind of you know room full of people chanting cults there's a goat someone stabs it you know we haven't seen anything like that so there could totally be uh something to preserve grim masks but i would uh, I'm under the impression that anything that looks like a Grim Mask is man-made. They actually discussed that in the uh, World Around About Grim, that all those uh, trophies that Port has were artist replications because he can't actually claim a body. Yeah. They explicitly mentioned that any Grim appearances in, non in any non-live Grim are replications because Grim corpses do not... Stick yeah, uh, and I'm I'm referring specifically to uh, Raven's mask when I'm talking about this, um, not so much the trophies, but um, Raven's mask I believe is man-made. However, it could be incredibly old, um, which by remnant standards, who knows how old that could be? Um, I think our history <laughs> goes back to what a hundred. 80 years, years is so. the Great War, and that's as far as recorded history in Ruby goes that we've been shown. Alright, cool. So, yeah. Um, could not, couldn't, uh, could be very old, could be like, you know, 200, it could be like American old, 200 years mm. or so. As opposed to European old, which is like, 2,000 years or so. You know. <laughs> so, I, I, I definitely think this is... Uh, some kind of man-made, however magical, entity. Um, whereas I would th assume things on w the White Fang side, I don't think... I, I really... I can only see the White Fang having magic in one mm -hmm. specific case, and it's some kind of ritual, and they probably only have access to one of them. Um, and it would be... Yeah, and it would be... Uh, related to the weird cult vibes that we keep getting off of them um man they're culty uh they, they are, are a cult can can i can i just can i can i just pause and go right back to about maybe 15, 10 minutes ago when you guys were talking about what rem meant by not just anyone uh what i took away from that when ren said that they did this kind of big pan out to this kind of like destroyed village was i assumed I didn't even go into thinking about like Raven leading attacks and that kind of thing. I immediately assumed they were talking about that there are Grim that we haven't seen yet that are even bigger and like that one Grim could have taken down an entire village or like kind of some kind of super like even like super powered Grim or something like that that could have taken down the whole village in one go and killed or scared off all the people. So kind of like legendary size Grim? Uh... Yeah, yeah. So like... So, so something like the dragon, but even bigger. So I'm going to reference again back to the Grim World of Remnant, where they said as a Grim gets older, it gets smarter, wiser, more dangerous. Yeah. It could just be less of a giant Grim and more of an ancient Grim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, but, but on the other hand, we've never heard anyone describe Grim as anything other than things. Ruby specifically picks up on him saying anyone. So that really does make me think it's a person or it's 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 not a human or it's not a grim specifically. Or it could be the Loch Ness monster. Um think like some grim that's been hunted by these hunters and managed to evade them and kill them and uh stays out into the in the wilderness and only preys on villages 
sticks around is you know a hundred or so years old and it gets to the point where legends are created around yeah. this Grim to the point where it gets the a white name. whale and then it's just like not just any old Grim it was old one eye uh or, or you know things like that <laughs> yeah so like that was kind of the way that I took like they were talking about some kind of Grim that was so powerful and so like had my show being hunted for so long that it basically turned into a myth like not any like not any one Grim this yeah, Grim and- that was kind of and to expand upon it uh for why ruby is confused by the one it could be that um you know she said she grew up in a small area she grew up in patch um which is a small island off the coast of uh a major kingdom vale yeah vale right so she's never run into them there there's there's never going to be a legendary uh you would think they would learn about it at Beacon, though. It might be something that's uh, more local to people who live outside of the kingdoms, like what we assume Ren yeah. and Nora uh, were doing when they were growing up. So it could be something like they don't really refer to it so much in the intro hunter training classes um, because, you know, it's like kind of maybe confirmed that they have these crazy legendary grim that are like bigfoot you cite them like uh, maybe once every couple of years because you know but like people say oh an entire it took out an entire village that's why nobody nobody sees it because it kills you Uh, like they become kind of like ghost stories um except for the people who are living with the ghosts in their backyard uh, they become very real uh, for people like Ren and Nora, uh, Ren yeah. more specifically. So it could be that Ruby's just confused what Ren meant by one because Ruby's never encountered an actual, uh, you know, village that's been destroyed by yeah. a legendary Grim. She might just be thinking of, like, at most, maybe some scary ghost stories she heard when she was a kid about these, you know, these ancient Grim that come out of the night and take out a village and disappear. Um, or possibly something of the caliber of the Baron Gull from the Volume 4 trailer, which she had a hard time with, but managed to overcome by think- outthinking it. Something that was smart enough to throw projectiles instead of getting in close. Yeah. And was resistant to most of her attacks. Mm. Love that brick to the face. I slowed it down. I slowed it down, went frame by frame just to see like the connect the, the two frames connecting in between the, the contacts. So it's just like there's the brick. He doesn't love a brick. There's to the, the face. connection. There's Ruby on the floor. Open the door, get on the floor. Everybody walk the dinosaur. <laughs> so I was actually thinking that um one outside possibility, and this is probably pretty outside, but is that Ren in in a similar Bigfoot sort of way, uh, except the legend is about Salem. Because so far, like, Team Ranger has no idea about Salem or any of this. And Tyrion, now that Tyrion has showed up, like, he's given a hint that there's, like, a bigger power behind Cinder. And so it would it would fit timing-wise if Ren also was, like, yeah, like, there's this legend of a woman who wides at the head of an army of Grimm. And, like, she has some, you know, spooky Bigfoot-style name. And she's the one who wiped out Ani Yuri. I feel like if we get exposition like that, it's gonna come from Crow, who has actively said he knows who Salem is. Additionally, I feel like Salem is a very stationary creature. Yeah, I don't think um, she goes out and like rides uh, to to battle very often. She may not even be able to leave her realm. Like, like yeah, for all we know. We don't know a lot about Salem and a lot of the things related to her. For all we know, the relics, and I mentioned this on the episode where the relics are brought up, that it's a, and I can't believe I'm referencing this because it's so obscure, a Ronin warrior style power seal that traps her in an alternate realm where people can go to and from, but she cannot pass through without certain barriers or items being in her possession or disabled. For anyone who doesn't know who what Ronin Warriors is, wow. 
It's an obscure '90s anime. I wasn't old enough to watch anime in the '90s. I think we, I think we get the concept though. Thanks. Yeah, same. So anyway, switching gears a little bit, uh, we because we've been talking about Tyrion and the that fight scene and the different speculations surrounding that. Uh, there was another part of this episode. Yeah, I don't know there if you guys was. noticed. There was another part of this episode. Yeah, Vice. There was this Vice. beautiful operatic middle finger <laughs> extended in the direction of Jacques Schnee. I have so many things I want to say about that song. Yeah. Besides the fact that every single lyric is Weiss saying, I'm not your toy. I'm my own person. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. The song itself has a very specific ending chord, the cadence at the end. Imperfect? Not an imperfect. That That's a 5-1 with the root not on top. Oh. That is a 4-1 cadence. A 4-1 is also called the Amen cadence, which is used at the end of almost every single religious prayer when you go, Amen. <laughs> and what I took from that, because I've listened to Jeff's work, I've talked to Jeff. He doesn't write chords by accident. I'm pretty sure... It's denoting that Weiss desires help from an outside source that just will intervene and whisk her away and save her. Like most religious stories end with God directly interfering. Yang goes to rescue the princess, maybe? Maybe Ironwood in winter in the Elysian military. Oh, bummer. Yeah. The Amen thing makes me just think that she's like, this is like the musical equivalent of like, period, full stop, fuck you. I'm out. Well, a 4-1 chord is used as a period in music. Is it sort of like a musical, like, mic drop? Uh, less of a musical mic drop and more of a not-quite-extreme ending. You realize mic drops are also used in music. Like, yeah. It's not... Like, a musical mic drop would be a mic drop. Wait, but don't, don't, don't drop. Don't drop your microphone. <laughs> it's not... Traditionally, a 4-1 chord is almost exclusively used for religious text. It is very rarely used in normal music. That is traditionally a 5-1 chord at the end. That is a complete period. It's a nice ending that sounds really good to yeah. when people listen to it, whereas 4-1 is more kind of shitty. Uh, and it was music was written in a very minor key. You can hear that it is a somber minor song. He does a lot of 6 chords in there. 6 is a very minor chord. Yeah, down in the coal mines. And even furthering on that, when we get to the dance scene, or the not the dance scene, the charity ball scene, the music playing in that is a instrumental minor reprise of "It's My Turn" and "Time to Say Goodbye." If you listen to it, motifs from both those songs come back. Hmm. But um, what I actually found quite interesting, kind of breaking not so much like the technical parts of music, but like the music to what then proceeded to happen with Weiss, was that you, I had to wonder was she planning on just leaving or speaking out or rebelling because the song was obviously a very big kind of fuck you dad i'm done with like i don't want to be here anymore i'm done with your shit like i want to go do my own thing so my suspicion is that weiss practiced slash like submitted for her father's approval a completely different piece was like yeah i'm going to sing you know this classic operatic aria or whatever and then when she got up on the stage she sang something completely different, knowing that her dad would not be able to say anything in public and risk embarrassment. Like, Weiss has to plan her rebellion around situations in which her dad cannot, like, actively retaliate. So she would just subtly, like, you know, and, and nobody else knows. They're just like, oh, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting choice that Weiss made. What a What a nice song. Let's continue to think about something else but her dad knows and she knows and probably whitley knows uh what she actually meant that smug bastard yeah that smug bastard that pale smug bastard <laughs> i don't like him he's he's paler than the rest yeah. of the schnee family and they're known for being pale yeah he's a he's a creepy creepy child yeah, yeah. he's as pale as the season one characters he looks weird who were glowing with their paleness there was a lot of really, really good musical cool cues this episode. Yeah. And they worked perfectly with some of the background stuff. Like in Oniyuri, the notes used were tritones. Tritone is where you take a root chord and then a flat five. It is the most dissonant note in distance in all of music. It is six half steps. 
it is literally the most dissonant, uncomfortable sound you could ever hear. And that was what was used during Oniuri's reveal. As opposed to your full name from your parents. I, I beg your pardon? Uncomfortable sounds you can hear. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but the music worked really well with those beautiful, haunting backgrounds. Shout out to Cesar Altagracia. Yeah, and the rest of the modeling so, team. Yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna, we should get a, uh, just a list. Or just read the credits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and shout out to Chris Kokonos, the sound designer, for being the husband of the trophy wife. <laughs> oh, I love the animation on that. The awkward look. Uh, and also shout out to the designer who created Henry and his file name was Shitty Neptune. Shitty Neptune, I love it. Seriously. Seriously. Oh my god. They referred to him as Shitty Neptune during the production. I uh. love it. When I when I when he first rolled up, I actually thought that he was like the artist of the painting and and Weiss was gonna like talk to someone who, you know, wasn't a shitty human being and then then he turned out to be a shitty human being, and I, I laughed much harder. <laughs> I just loved how hard she shut him down, which not only like speaks to how quickly she figured out what he is, it also speaks to how often Weiss has had to deal with this crap. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting because um, if you compare to like volume one Weiss, she kind of behaves like this initially um and now she's gone through all of these things and she's actually gone out and seen you know the real world because it seems like uh, uh at lesion society is especially high society is very like cloistered it's very disconnected from what's actually happening that makes sense if you yeah. live in a very cold it, it, place it's very yeah gilded so cage. she's actually gone out gotten to go out and see the world so she's now bored by and it, it was even a conversation that she had tried to have with uh what she then learned was a faunus uh, about how you know the faunus rights aren't really being infringed upon like that was like the opening conversation to that little party was this is like oh no, no, no. they're they're arguments you can tell that where she got all yeah. of those arguments that she's repeating in volume one is like, oh, she's just heard them like every other night of her entire life. No yeah. wonder she's so, saying And that. of course she yeah. assumes it's true, but then she actually goes out and she sees the real world and she comes back to this and she learns how bullshit everything it, uh, about the society is. And she's actually seen fighting yeah. and like actually, and the only other person who's been there and done that in this group is Ironwood. Yeah, I loved yeah. Ironwood's like intervention. Can can She's he She's the only one making yeah, exactly. sense around here. Yeah, can he can he Thanks for the party and Yeah, like, and, yeah, and like like gunshot, thanks for the party. Ironwood out. And uh, cuz you've opened this can of worms. His Elysian military elite motif returned as soon as he fired the gunshot and stole the show. Ha! Nice. The Elysian motif that bum 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 ba da 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 da, da. and then that <laughs> sorry that reappeared as he fired that shot and took out the uh, semblance Borbatusk, which by the way kudos to Weiss for summoning a Borbatusk. Yeah, no, that that's yeah. That's, yeah here's that's... my theory on the on what what her semblance was. Uh, right back in volume one, I'm pretty sure when um oh my god, what's Ryan here was correct. Professor Port. Port, Professor. Yeah. That's yeah, it, that's the Borbatus. Professor Port went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, so yeah, so he, she got called up and then had to kill that Borbatus. So I feel like there must be some connection between. Well, it's the oh, Schnee it's family semblance of... where she kills whatever she yeah. kills, she can resummon. Right, right, right. But it's also this means that it's happening in order. Like the first one that we see her summon is the robot from the it's giant like the armor that she solo killed. That she kills in the white trailer, and then like the next thing that is like a character moment for her is her fighting that boar during Port's class and then that's the second one ah. she summons. So the bits of the more things. She helped but that's not so like. So it disregards the Nevermore that she well, helped take down? we've only seen her get those two solo kills. I don't know if she'd be able to summon the giant Nevermore or... well she killed a bunch of Grimm during the uh, yeah. the invasion of Vale by the White Fang yeah. and the Grim Truck from Mountain Glen. I, I think what they were trying to do with the Borbatusk was to um, make it known that that was Weiss, 
um, because when I first saw it, I was just like, wait, is Weiss actually under, like, actually actively trying to summon that thing? And is it actively being controlled by her? Because it, it totally could be a shady move by the creepy pale kid, um, to summon something right. while she's making a big scene and attack somebody and get her, like, kicked out or off the will. Um, because that totally seems like a high society, like, rich family it does seem like a whitley kind of kind, of kind of politics that would happen yeah but it's very clearly a borbatusk that weiss has been shown i think before the big grim attack on Vale entirely yeah it's it's really early she was the only one to ever have bought a borbatusk on camera i don't know if we got any of the borbatusks on camera in um the Vale fight but it's a grim that's only really been pulled out once or twice so it was probably a good design choice to go with a borbatusk just so you know people aren't thinking like yeah we could clarify like, that it was twice. i mean honestly do you really think uh the creepy what's the kid's name wheatley whitley whitley yeah he's not yeah he hasn't like fought a borbatusk. i mean it'd be terrifying if that kid could pull off the pale meek tiny look and take down a borbatusk um but I think it was a, a design choice to kind of show that, yes, that is Weiss's. Because um, if it was, like, some birds or something, then it totally could be, like, a there could be more s- things to be read into that. But since it's a Borbatus. Yeah. Also, also, don't yeah. don't neglect the fact that it did have to be a Grim that could fit in the room. It, yeah, it couldn't be the giant armor or a giant Nevermore it, or yeah, something. Yeah, it couldn't be a giant bird because it would not fit inside the room. And it also, like, needed to be something that Ironwood could kill. She's also been shown to um, summon partial. So a giant Nevermore's head... Yeah, yeah, that's true. ...would be terrifying. Yeah, and that would have... That would be pretty creepy. <laughs> now I'm just imagining this giant head, like, scraping across the floor, like, snap, 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 <laughs> snap, snap, snap. Oh. <laughs> Why? Like so... a mix between a, a, a raven and a piranha oh, plant. Oh, God. Floor <laughs> head. <laughs> so, a PD piranha. So he's going to, like... Um, yeah. <laughs> well, so so I want to go back to to her discussion with um, Henry though, a little bit to say that it's not like what happened in Vale is a secret in the sense that like it's it's pu- common and public knowledge that like Beacon Academy was attacked. That's why the charity painting is of Beacon, and it's common and public knowledge that Weiss was at Beacon Academy. So. There's no excuse for someone in that room to not know that Weiss might be sensitive to it because she was at Beacon. Like, that's on the level of, like, not knowing that someone's close relative, like, passed away very recently. When you're at their funeral. Yeah, exactly. And, like, no, and still, this guy who's, like, immediately zeroing in on Weiss and is like, oh, yeah, like, I saw you sing. I know who you are. Exactly. But he doesn't know the simple, basic facts of her actual life. Like, she was at Beacon Academy. No, Nobody seems to know or care. Well, maybe that's also... I don't know, that could also be reflecting because I'm guessing he's about her age. And he didn't really seem aware, like, what the painting was for, like, why the charity was being held, where... where he doesn't even seem to come. recognize what it's a painting of. Yeah, so actually, maybe that's kind of reflecting, like, if Weiss hadn't gone to Beacon Academy, the kind of person she could have become. She could have become someone who yeah. only showed charity balls to look pretty in a gown and eat the food and drink the champagne. Yeah. He's, he's clearly, like, hitting on her solely. All he knows about her is that she is a Schnee family-like heir. Like, that's it. That's all he yeah. knows about her. If he had done, like, even the most elementary, like, I don't want to say research, but research, <laughs> then he would know what her deal was. Yeah. Yeah. And additionally, I think it's also meant to sort of reflect how the Atlesian High Society doesn't really give a shit about the outside world and, like, sees these tragedies and just goes, just like, well, clearly they just should have had a stronger military. Yeah, exactly. And then they 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 continue to turn and yell at the waiter because uh, he didn't get a double sun. Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Uh, I had that. I yeah. couldn't yeah, catch the rest of it. the wrong cocktail. But, yeah, I like. I also like how they included um, a, an asshole rich guy sh- 
uh, shouting at a waiter over a small mistake yeah, in a drink. Yeah. How about the fact that the woman who was talking shit about Vale was literally called Trophy Wife in the credits? <laughs> and also looked like she was drunk. Yeah. She was very drunk. Yeah. Her husband kept trying to shush her. Yeah. But also um, the fact that Jack was there, like, "Oh, if you're thirsty, we can ha we have we have people for that." And Weiss was oh, there, yeah, like, "Oh yeah, the way that he said that was amazing." And Weiss was there, like, "What the fuck? I can get myself a drink, so I'm gonna go get myself a drink." Which again, very much yeah. reflects like Weiss is not in line with how the rest of Elysian high society is kind of viewing the world. She's very much become disenchanted with the whole kind of vision of that way of life. But it's also interesting yeah. how she protests because Jacques takes her like going to get her own drink as like a mark of low status. Like, don't be ridiculous. We have people for that. We are not the low status type of people who have to get their own drink. Mm. Weiss responds by being offended that he has suggested that she can't. So it's like mm. she's thinking in a very different way now about like what mean what status is yeah and i think that shows like she's very much probably more of a more of a huntress she can do shit for herself she doesn't need someone to like make sure she doesn't get her feet and hands dirty yeah and insofar as there is like a, a, a hierarchy at beacon is very much based on like competency and combat and so on so weiss is feels insulted because he's implied that like she can't do something, and also, like, she can't take care of herself in the field. She needs someone to go get a drink for her. Um, also, let's yeah. point out that Shock apparently just wanted Weiss to stand next to him for no reason. She's an object. Yeah, like, but but why even have her there? Like, what what is he, in his mind, what purpose is served by having Weiss just standing there? Because she's still listed as the heiress. Because she's still an object to be put well, on display like a trinket. No, that's literally all that he, he wants is he just wants to display well, his Well, status. also, it could also be something to do with the fact that he knows that Weiss isn't content. And you can see that in the song that she sang. And he knows that from the song that she sang. It's very obvious she isn't happy with what's going on here. And I think also maybe he doesn't want her walking off and talking to other people and having someone trigger her into this huge debate of a, here's what actually happened at Beacon and none of you care and that kind of thing, which does happen when she leaves which the does side. Happen. So he obviously wants to display her like, look, here's my daughter. She fought it. She fought at Beacon Academy. She's fine now. But he probably also wants to prevent her from going away and being like, yeah, I fought at Beacon Academy. It was horrible. And you don't seem to care yeah. a bit about it. Oh, it also is like, so if Weiss is like the Sol Schnee company heir, then things that she says to people, those people are going to take as like, it's politics. Yeah. Like pretty much any conversation she could have would be like, someone is evaluating that from the perspective of, ah, yes, when Weiss runs the company, what should I do? Yeah. So maybe he just like didn't want her going and around muddling I his message. I think that that also ties were. into the fact that my theory that Jacques is not a natural born Schnee and that he married in and he wants to prove he's the success. He's the Schnee, which is why he seems to surround himself with opulence and trinkets and trophies like that. To that sort of he point out. runs the company. This is his heir. This is his yeah. child. Notice that apparently Weiss's mom did not turn up at all. No, uh... Or she was over at the or bar. Or she was over at the bar the entire time. Um, any final thoughts people have? Uh, I'm looking forward to Ironwood eventually adopting Weiss. <laughs> That'd right. be cool. This episode contrasted with the previous episode is, an, is a great insight to the original conflict between Blake and Weiss. Not just because of the obvious, like, Faunus rights being a snobby asshole type thing, but... If Blake's family is also affect Blake's family and Weiss's family are both effectively royalty, but comport themselves in very different manners and seem to have very different attitudes towards what their status means. All right. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Ruby's reaction to the fact that it isn't just the grim and polit politics that are getting in her way of trying to fix everything. It's also this kind of much bigger, higher organization Salem that are trying to take down everything. I'm looking forward to seeing her kind of process that. I'm I'm quite curious to see what's going to go on between the same with Ruby and Pyrrha because before 
I think it was kind of like before or just as Pyrrha was killed by Cinder, she seemed to look over at Ruby and the last person who like it like the last like young female who is thought of by the person who's the maiden becomes the next maiden. So I'm kind of curious as to whether or not we're gonna get any more kind of connections there and whether or not that's an actual thing or I'm being a pot theorist. No, I can see that. Uh I'm just really looking forward to the, the Crow and Tyrion fight. Oh scene. yeah. I, I, <laughs> I need it. I need oh, it. I'm, I'm psyched to see them throw down. I guess I want to see Crow yeah, do it it's... while looking cool as shit. <laughs> so, Crow normally. I want to see the scythe yes. come out. Yeah. I want to see Tyrion get impaled. Yeah. That'd be cool. Nah, he can't get impaled this early. I feel like, yeah, no, he won't die yet. They can't, neither of them can die yet. We can't have the first clue of the bigger bad versus the exposition Uncle Sensei mentor. Literal Uncle Sensei, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's my uh, uncle. He can't die yet either because he has to drive the plot. All right, and that looks like it's going to be it for the Beacon Broadcast. I'd like to thank all of our podcasters for joining me today, and make sure you guys check us out on Tumblr at beacon-broadcast.tumblr.com. That is beacon-broadcast.tumblr.com, and check us out on iTunes. I'd like to thank all our podcasters once again, and I'd like to thank the uh, crew of Ruby for a wonderful episode. Bye. Bye. Hello, me again. I'm really excited to announce to you that the Beacon Broadcast and the Shizno are joining up to create a brand new podcast network called Plot Bubble. This is going to give us a chance to do things we've always wanted to do, like expand our lineup into other non-RT shows and release more content. We'll also have a Patreon you can get involved in, which we will launch on January 1st of 2017. Stay tuned next week for even more details. Bye! Alright. Now I'm going to stop the recording. Bye, Pat. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.